Hello, welcome to the From Way Downtown Pacers podcast from Indy Star. This is Pacers editor Nat Newell here, of course, with our beat writer, Dustin Bilpirak. Uh, schedule was released, uh, we're, we're talking uh, Thursday. Schedule was released at 3 p.m. today, less than two hours ago. Um, so we're going to take a uh, look at the schedule and then we'll just sort of wrap up the offseason um, as this is kind of the end of uh, the offseason for NBA teams, uh, unofficial or official or whatever you want to call it. But uh, uh, I guess let's talk about the in-season tournament first. Um, we talked uh, before about it. I- I'm not against it. I also just don't know that I'm excited about it. <laughs> what are your feelings about the in-season tournament? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's just going to be interesting to, to run through it and see, you know, what kind of interest is there. I mean, I think, you know, you, you could look at the play-in tournament uh, as an analog, but not an exact one, um, because I think there's there's generally been a good reception for that. It keeps more teams involved for longer. Um, you know, I think it, it acts as a counterweight to tanking, because if, if you're that close, um, you have an, you know, you have an opportunity. Obviously, there's a difference. Um, you know, there are still teams that are not going to go all out for the, for the opportunity to, to maybe play one game. Um, but it makes it a little bit harder to just, you know, call it and, and especially to call it earlier uh, in the season. So I'm going to think you've seen positive returns on the play in game. This obviously is going to be the play in, you know, part of the tournament or whatever. Um, this is going to be a little different, obviously, in season and saying, hey, these games in November matter more, um, you know, than than what you're used to. They count to something else. Um, it's I, I mean, I guess it, it serves as a good way to get started uh, in November. Obviously, it's you know, you look at the season, the first uh, couple games are bumping right up against the World Series, not only in the Pacers in particular. And I was just checking this out. Uh, you know, they're going to be playing on the night of game two, uh, game three. Game five, game six, and game seven. Um, so, and and that includes their first play-in game. I think is going to be the night of game six of the World Series, if there is a game six, obviously. Um, but I mean, I think it allows the NBA to grab a little bit more, um, you know, visibility in November when everybody's thinking about football. But the week is yours. Uh, you know, you get to battle with basketball, with with college basketball, obviously, uh, when they're getting started at the same time. But it, it it allows them maybe the opportunity to grab a little bit more visibility uh, in November and the beginning of December and, and get people to start to care then rather than waiting until, you know, I don't know, Christmas. I, I think when a lot of people start to care, it, it gives you something else to kind of grab your attention before that point in the year. Um, yeah, so there's some value there. Yeah, so. I'm for anything that, that potentially uh, makes teams care more about the regular season. Um, we'll see if this does it or not. $500,000 a person uh, player. I mean, I think it's easy to look at uh, some of these guys. You know, Bruce Brown's making $20 million. Uh, You know, I don't think he's turning down $500,000. But, sure. but there's a lot of guys on a roster who are going to care about $500,000. So, I, you know, exactly. you, you mm-hmm. can't accuse the NBA of cheaping out in that regards. Um, no. I think it's a tough group, uh, Pacers. They got Philadelphia. They got the Cavs. Um, Atlanta. Um, I mean, Atlanta could be good or could be totally implode. Could um, be wrecked. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And they got Detroit, which has a lot of young talent, as do the Pacers. I mean, it seems like a, a cha- I mean, a challenging. I mean, who knows what's going to happen with Philly, uh, with the Harden situation? But it seems like a challenging group. I haven't looked at all of the groups, but um, mm-hmm. I imagine that one's uh, that's not an easy. Uh, uh, you know, number that's that, that you know that's a pretty tough five teams when they're trying to pick you know 
a good one, a middle one, a middle one, uh, whatever. And and then, you know, you know, they're trying to make them as even as they possibly can. Yeah. I mean, if the Pistons rise up this year, um, then, you know, you don't have an easy out basically. Uh, Obviously last year you would have said, okay, well, well, Detroit, that's one you got to look at and say that, that you should pencil that one in. Um, but I mean, they were playing without Kate Cunningham and then you add, uh, another, um, you know, top five pick, uh, in Oscar Thompson. So, I mean, you, you, you come to this group, you know, come to this season, if you're Detroit and you have a potential starting five with Cade Cumming, Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, uh, Oscar Thompson, uh, Jalen Duran and James Wiseman. I mean, that's, that's no joke, um, you know, right there. I mean, I don't know if they have that that's who they would play at the four or whatever, if they would play both of those bigs. But I mean, you at least have Duren um, in there and, and, you know, maybe somebody else you throw in. But I mean, they've got uh, obviously really, really good young talent, uh, you know, coming together, you know, new coach, new everything, you know, flipping the thing over. But I mean, if they get to the point that they're at least a, a tough out, um, then you don't have anybody easy on the board. I mean, there's definitely tougher, uh, tougher deals, I think, Um the one out west, I think it's got Memphis, Phoenix, and the Lakers, and maybe even Sacramento. But there, there's like there's definitely a group of death out west. Um, you know, no, you know, one, one of those deals where, you know, because the Lakers were a seven, you know, they they look, you know, uh, like that group looks a lot better, um, basically, because if, if you imagine the Lakers functioning as a potential semifinal team, if that's who they're going to be this year, uh, then that's a lot, a, a lot tougher scenario there. But it, it's it's certainly not an easy one. Um, you know, again, I mean, like, even if the Sixers lose Harden or even if that leads to some level of implosion, the Pacers haven't proven they can stop Joel Embiid anyway. Um, you know, they still have the MVP. And, you know, regardless of whether you even think of him as the MVP or if you, if you really, you know, think that he robbed it from Jokic or you just think Jokic is the best player in the world right now, all of that's fine. Embiid is still one of the top three guys. Um, and he's a guy that the Pacers have particularly problems stopping. So you have them there. Uh, Cleveland, obviously, is going to come in hungry after having get, gotten beaten in the first round last year and they're sort of looking around and saying okay we got we should have been better than that still have a superstar in donovan mitchell um and and like i said i mean atlanta's a little bit of a toss-up but they still have trey young um so all of those games are tough outs i mean there there is no there is no guarantee that the pacers will win an in-season tournament game in group play it's not a sure thing um so you know it's but and i i can't look at it and say that it's impossible for them to win the group either i mean they, they could catch fire um and beat any of those teams like i don't think any of them are so far ahead of them they can't beat them one night um so i, th- I think it has a potential to be a really intriguing situation for the pacers uh you know the interesting part is you go you know you throw that into your schedule um you know the, yeah, like the potential for if they're in the knockout I and mean, they've got this one of those two games and three nights deals with the heat in miami on the 30th and the second um you know then you're in that fourth to 11th range where you're going to be playing those games uh and then you're going to be on the road uh with detroit milwaukee washington minnesota so that's going to be an interesting deal for you know where uh the knockout round or the lack of the knockout round you know the the other games they're going to schedule um to make up for teams that aren't in the knockout round is going to be at a weird place in, in their you know full season slate uh, you mentioned the the beginning of the schedule uh, for the Pacers. It's an interesting uh, group of teams. I mean, the first eight is Washington at home, at Cleveland, Chicago at home, at Boston, Cleveland at home, Charlotte at home, uh, San Antonio, Utah at home. Um, I mean, it's not impossible to see them starting the year, you know, five and three easily, six and two. Uh, then you get Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And Philadelphia, so we'll see if they're serious at that point. Um, sure. 
But uh, I just, what, what are your thoughts on? I mean, what, if they're, I mean, should people, is this first group of games going to tell us how good they're going to be or how much can we read into what we see early in the season from them, assuming everyone's healthy? I mean, I think a good bit. I mean, obviously, I think they had a shaky start uh, to the year, the you know first five or six, uh, and they started kind of getting a roll after that last year. Um, but no, I mean, I, I think it shapes up for them pretty well. Um, you know, obviously, uh, going to Boston early is tough, but I mean, Washington, Cleveland, and Chicago are all gettable. Uh, you know, I would you you would obviously they're going to be uh, underdogged on the road against the Cavs, but I mean, that's not a game that they can't win. Um, they've shown that they can compete with those guys before. Uh, certainly can beat Chicago at home, certainly can beat Washington at home. Uh, Boston's a tough one to go up there and win. Um, but, you know, you can come back, you can you can potentially beat Cleveland at home. You can certainly beat Charlotte. You know, obviously you're going to find out about Wimbanyama and how ready you are to cover him. But as a team, you would think that they can beat San Antonio. Uh, and Utah, you know, certainly is a beatable team, even though they got dusted by them on the road last year. Um, and then you get the Bucks. They did beat the Bucks last year, but you're going to get a sense uh, of who they are, you know, early on. It's not going to tell you everything because it is November basketball uh, and it is November in the NBA, but you're going to get a, a sense of what kind of talent they have, what kind of, um, you know, sort of togetherness, cohesion, chemistry, and whatnot they have pretty early. You know, they're going to be tested, but they're also going to play games, that, you know, play some teams that they can beat and that you're going to be comparing them to, uh, you know, if, if you're asking, are they a, a, a playoff team or aren't they? Yeah, I mean, again, to me, the question is they were on pace for 45 wins or whatever. Obviously, I think their schedule was a little bit early, easy uh, up to the point where Halliburton gets hurt in New York. Um, so maybe they're not actually on a 45 win pace. Um, but it seems like we're going to, I mean, so that, you know, they, they seem like they've gotten better. Of course, everybody thinks they got better in the offseason. But it seems like we'll know uh, through the first 10 games, you know, how serious uh, of a, like you say, how serious of a playoff contender the Pacers are. Yeah, and I think you you tack on, you look at that stretch, obviously, Milwaukee and then two in Philly. Um, But then you come back after that, you've got Orlando, you've got Atlanta, Toronto, Detroit, Portland. Um, You know, there's the road game with the Hawks as part of the tournament. And obviously there is Detroit again also as part of the tournament. Um, But those are a lot of winnable winnable games right there. I mean, if you get out of the first stretch in pretty good shape, even if you take an 0 for 3 uh, with the Bucs and the Sixers, you can come back and get right uh, again with that next stretch uh, of, of five games and you go to go into Miami. Um, uh, at the end of November, uh, if you can get one out of there, uh, and which isn't, I, I don't think that, uh, out of the question when you're playing them in regular season, certainly they were able to go down there right around Christmas and beat them, uh, last year. So it's not like beating Miami in the regular season is an impossible thing to do. It's not nearly the same as trying to beat Jimmy Butler in the playoffs. Uh, you can beat them in the regular season, um, especially when nobody in Miami is paying attention. Um, so, you know, when they have other stuff to do, uh, you know, you can, you can catch them. Uh, it's not, it's not an impossible thing to do. So, uh, they can come out of November. I, I, I think, you know, November is a chance for them to put themselves in a pretty good spot. Um, you know, it, it won't necessarily prove beyond a doubt, you know, how good they're going to be. But if you look at November on the whole, um, I think that that gives them a potential to, you know, to, to pile up some wins, you know, they, I, I think it would, it's, I think it's important for them. And I think it's doable for them to come out of November better than 500. Yeah. And also the, looking at the end of the schedule, uh, I mean, it's sort of similar in that, uh, the last, they got the, 
the West Coast trip, that's not going to be easy. Um, or it's a well road trip. They got because the, they got Chicago in there too. But but you're going to go. Uh, you're ending that road trip at Chicago. Uh, you got the Lakers at home. Obviously, not an easy game. Uh, but then you got Brooklyn home and home. Uh, Oklahoma City, Miami, at Toronto, at Cleveland, Atlanta. So again, I mean, if they're you know, no one should be looking at that end stretch. And if they're competing for whether it's the the not first non-play-in spot at number six or just somewhere, they, you know, for where their positioning is in the play-in game, um, mm. it seems like the schedule, uh, you know, I, I don't want to say did them any favors, but it certainly uh, didn't. It doesn't look like it's going to hurt them if they're that caliber of team. No, it doesn't kill them. And, and I mean, the other thing I think you look at there is you're not you, you don't have. Yeah, you don't have championship contenders. I mean, the one thing where that hurts you is you're not playing anybody who's going to have wrapped anything up. Uh, at least it doesn't look at look, look like that from here. Um, you know, like it's put a wraps on their season by then. But I what's know that? What, Toronto, Brooklyn, they might have stopped trying by that. Sure, point. they might have. They might have called it. Uh, yeah, it's that. That's possible. You might be able to take advantage of some teams that have ended it. Um, you know, you're not. But but like you know, from a from a good standpoint, you're not playing well. The back and forth standpoint, whatever you want to call it, you know, you're not playing Philly, you're not playing Milwaukee, you're not playing Boston, you're not playing Phoenix, you're not playing for, uh, you know, down that stretch. You're going to catch them. You're going to catch them all in places when they're still playing for something. Uh, but you're not going to get them towards the end. But yeah, I mean, there there are some teams on there that might have called it quits uh, by that point, particularly if you if Brooklyn and Toronto want to further blow it up, if Atlanta wants to blow it up, uh, you might be in a position to take advantage of that. You would think Oklahoma City is going to be in a very similar position as to where the Pacers are uh, at this point. That this is a, a season that they're you know sort of pointing at as uh, to take a next step toward being a playoff team again. Obviously, in the same way that the Pacers are building around Tyrese Halliburton, and they're building around Shai Gilgis. Just Alexander, um, so that might be a, a particularly tough one. Is they'll be really fighting for playoff position. Uh, certainly, you would think Miami is going. To, that's going to be where they start picking up steam uh, at that point. Is if you just sort of generally believe the Heat narrative is going to be what it usually is, um, and you know, so so there are uh, a couple tough ones in there, but there's not one game that you look at down the stretch and say that's that's a team that you can't take or a team that's going to be a a sure thing top three seed that is going to have you know be really kind of easing into postseason play well yeah a couple of the uh the traditional things you always look at with the schedule only one national tv game um long before you were on the beat uh the pacers were a you know they were consistently uh four or five whatever seed in the east and they would get no national tv games or almost none that was mm-hmm. always a point of contention understandably so for the fan base i don't think with the where they're at right now we'll see where they are at the end of the year where uh, where they're at right now, I don't think you can complain about them getting one national TV game. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to because obviously they're going to – and you, you certainly saw, uh, if you're watching the schedule release, I mean, you, you see the games that are up there. Um, you know, Sacramento is getting a bunch. Uh, you know, so so that does tell you that it's possible um, to play your way into it. It certainly is helpful if you're out west, uh, you know, and you've just had a, a doozy of a of a uh, seven game playoff series with Golden State. You know, is obviously the you know one of the teams that everybody cares about. Uh, you know, that helps the cause that you're already kind of close to that market uh, and whatnot. So you can play your way in, but obviously when you're still when you're still a lottery team and you're in in Indiana, there's only so much you can hope for. Um, you would hope that there is, if, if you're the Pacers, obviously, if you're a Pacers fan who cares about national television, you 
would hope that the style of play uh, is going to be so fun as to be unignorable. Uh, I mean, I do think the Pacers were starting to become, um, there was a stretch where I think they were a lot of people's favorite league pass team. You know, that the, they're the team that, you know, you're not going to see on national TV very often. But if you're enough of an NBA nerd that you're, you know, paying the extra bucks to get league pass, uh, they're a team that you might check out. But just because they're they're that entertaining with with Halliburton sort of running, uh, you know, the, the up tempo offense. And so if they're going to win a bunch of games, you would think they'll be further along those lines. And if they get any kind of postseason play, you would think they'd, they'd get at least a couple next year as they start to head that way. Um, you know, again, there's obviously more opportunity now for national TV than when, you know, when those Pacers teams were really good. You know, there's still a, a little bit more windows. Uh, they do have, I think, five NBA TV games on that. I'm not sure what they had last year, but I think um, that's heading in a positive direction for them. Um, if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, there is at least uh, on kind of the kind of the secondary national TV market, if you will. Um, there's at least some sense of, OK, this team might be a little bit entertaining. Let's get a couple more games on here. Um, but, you know, when you look at the list of who got games and who didn't, it's not that much of a surprise that the Pacers are on, are on the one line. Yeah, you mentioned Sacramento. I'm going off memory because I'm trying to look it up. I believe uh sacramento indiana and detroit were like the longest droughts on christmas day um mm. so that's always a good one to look at but uh um and with with sacramento coming back up but that kind of tells you what uh the at least the networks think of the uh mid uh, market uh teams uh, uh mm. but uh couple other real quick things um and we get these from uh positive residual dot com um on the schedule it's a great site if you have any interest in this stuff uh pacers play the fewest mile or, or travel the fewest miles being located in the middle of the country with several teams close by that's not a surprise but it's good for them 13 back-to-backs um which is the, you can only have 13 14 or 15 but obviously 13 you'd rather have 13 than 15 um and then they also have a, a rest advantage which basically looks at when you've played versus when your opponent has played they only have the rest advantage eight times but they only have the advantage disadvantage nine times so again no real factors uh not any significant factor with either of those things but uh anything mm -hmm. else you want to touch base on with the schedule before we just talk, wrap up the uh, off season no not really i mean i think they you know it it, it is um there's nothing that stands out too much. I mean, you, you have a couple, you know, obviously you had to have a couple Western trips in there. I think it, it plays better than a year ago. They still have a long one, uh, you know, go from, they start in Atlanta on the 12th and then go Denver, uh, you know, Utah, Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, uh, go that through most of January. And then you have uh, Golden State and then a back-to-back -back, uh, with LA uh, on the 24th and 25th of March, uh, you know, have a stack uh, Detroit and Chicago on, on around those, have a couple other trips in there, New Orleans, on san antonio dallas um there's it, it it they don't go wild as far as there's nothing wild as far as road trips are concerned obviously you've got to have at least one long western one uh no matter who you are um so i don't think that stands out too much i mean there's there's not a lot on here that you look at and say man this is a really big problem for them uh or anything like that it's obviously still gonna be as difficult as it is but uh but no not from a schedule standpoint i think mostly you know i, I don't think there's a lot to complain about from the pacer standpoint Last time we talked, it's been a little bit, um, but of course, not much has happened until today with the schedule. Uh, mm. We, I mean, I, it seemed like that the Pacers were done um, once, uh, I believe it was the top and trade was made. Um, 
and you know Pascal Siakam was out there. Did more you know rumors than anything else. Um, but any surprise that you know the, the that the Pacers have not done anything else. Um, you know since we talked in terms of making any additions or anything along those lines. You know, not really. I thought the Siakam uh, conversation was interesting, and and I I do think that they they do. Um, seem to make a point of trying to be in conversations that don't necessarily go anywhere. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't say that as an insult in any way. Um, that probably, it probably sounds like I do, but I mean, from it, it did seem early on in the process that they, there were, you know, several national reporters talking about, Hey, this is a real thing. Um, and I know Shams did some reporting, uh, Shams Sharanya from the athletic and from stadium, uh, sort of said that, you know, Atlanta really had kind of the best, um, option there and i can't remember who was sort of second but the pacers were kind of something something distant it did sound like um you know what was kind of out of the time was that like nemhard uh was a sticking point and and which makes it all makes sense when you you know again i think what we reported at the time you know or, or what we were writing at the time was generally that this is a trade that would make sense but only if you had a real reason to believe that you could get siakam, siakam uh to sign beyond the one year because ultimately they were going to look for guys uh under which they would have a lot of control Control. Um, and, you know, that the Pacers would be giving up control over a guy like Nemhard, um, who they have a lot of belief in, uh, for a guy who's obviously seems to have, you know, I, I don't know that Nemhard has any, that, that there's going to be any chance of Andrew Nemhard being as productive a player at any point in his career as pa Pascal Siakam is now. Um, but, you know, are you willing to trade uh, Andrew Nemhard's entire future for one year of Pascal Siakam when you're not quite there? um from being you're, you're not one step away from being a championship team even if that's one big step in getting a guy like siakam um you know you're still not there you know your roster still isn't championship caliber and you would be giving up somebody that could be a key piece for you uh for years so it's not that much of a so it's not that much of a surprise but i think um i, I would say you know again when you continue to look at it the whole i think the pacers did a good job of making it clear that they were being involved they, they were trying they were making big swings um and i don't know i mean I, they'll say or they have said that bruce brown was their first target uh i'm sure there's a little bit of creative way of describing that i imagine that they were at least interested in a lot of those power forwards the jeremy grants Rui Hachimura's, Kyle Kuzma's, uh, Harrison Barnes that ended up signing elsewhere. Uh, that might have been their top priority by the time they got to, uh, you know, uh, June 30th, uh, you know, at six o'clock or at, I think it was six o'clock. Um, you know, I think by that point, they, point, they might have already known that everybody else was going to resign. And then from then they kind of switched up. But I do think, again, Brown was a big signing. Toppin was a big addition. Once they had that, they didn't really need anything more. Um, so it, it made sense to, you know, kind of kick the tires on a superstar, but um, they could walk away from it not needing to not needing to have pursued that. Um, and, and I think they mostly got what they wanted and got what they needed um, out of this offseason and made themselves better. Yeah, I mean, again, I think uh, it's exactly what you said. To me, if you can get Siakam for Nebhart, and your only concern is you're giving up Andrew Nemhart, then you got to make that deal. Because I, I mean, I you know I, I don't care how much you love Nemhart. Uh, mm. If you can get an all near all NBA uh, or at least regular um, All Star, uh, then you got to do it. But if you if, but if you only think you're getting him for one year, then yeah, I don't know that I do pull the trigger on that. So um, mm. that's that's just where they're at. I agree with you also that, you know, if you, you want to be involved in as much stuff as possible, 
I don't see, you know, there's no harm in, in, you know, kicking the tires on stuff, even if it doesn't come, you know, nothing materializes out of it. Very seldom do things materialize because it's really hard to make a trade and people mm-hmm. don't really probably have a sense of how hard, you know, how off, how much stuff is talked about and especially how much stuff is talked about that doesn't happen. Um, right. So, I mean, none of that is a, is a real surprise. I guess the McConnell trade uh, stuff was all, the other thing that we've we've heard seen um, from there. Uh, you know, and this is a couple of weeks ago with Phoenix. Um, but I, it, uh, the only thing I, the only time I saw any names attached with the like players with the Pacers would be taking on was a salary dump, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you got to get it. I mean, I, you, you kind of have to get a first round pick for McConnell, I would think, at minimum. Yeah, I mean, I would think so, too. He's still he's just such an interesting guy to think of on a trade value scale, um, just because, I mean, I, I can imagine a bunch of reasons why, you know, someone might not be um, uh, e- eager to part with something big for him. Um, but, I mean, he does so many smart things for you. I mean, like there, there were many games where TJ McConnell was one of the most important guys. Uh, you know, again, he's he's got a very unorthodox game. Um, you know, there's not a lot of obvious comps to him in the league because he's not, you know, like, I mean, he he had his best shooting outside shooting year of his career, but he's still barely taking any. Um, you know, like he was hitting the ones where they were leaving him wide open, going under screens, and just sort of saying, oh, "TJ, we dare you," uh, and he hit him. Um, as opposed to other years when he hasn't. But I mean, and he he gets to his little six foot jumper, even if he's got to run a lap around the rim uh, to do it. And but he finds a way to score the basketball. He's just a pest defensively, um, and a pest. Uh, and you know, he, he just finds a way to play his game. And especially when they let George Hill and James Johnson walk, um, you know, they do have to maintain some veteran presence there. Um, you know, they, they do need a couple guys, uh, that are over 30 and it's not a bad idea to keep him around. I mean, he's got a little bit more under contract than Buddy Heald does. I mean, you, you have to presume that since they haven't, you know, extended him that the, um, you know, the, the Buddy Heald era will not be going very much longer. Um, and because you're going to have to, if you want to keep him, you have to really, really pay him. I mean, you can keep TJ around for eight, nine million. Um, even if, you, if you're going to go beyond this year or beyond next year, um, you can, you know, extend him at a relatively cheap price. Keep him around. Got, I mean, he, he's good for Halliburton. He's good for uh, Andrew Nemhard. He, he's, you know, both of those guys look up to him in some way, um, shape or form. They're not similar players necessarily. Uh, he can't do a lot of things they can. They they do. He they can't necessarily do a lot of things he does. Um, but he he is helpful from a clubhouse standpoint. Um, you know, you, you do have to get some value there. I think again because you don't have to pay him that much. Uh, to start with. And, you know, I, I think he's an effective enough player. He's got years in the tank. You know, I mean, he's going to be able to play this game. Um, you know, he's got a good decade's worth of, you know, just physical ability left. Um, and, you know, he, he's never going to be any kind of superstar or anything like that. But I mean, there are years left on that guy. And so I wouldn't want to give up on those years without getting something. Yeah, I, I used to look up. Uh, he's He was a incredibly rare type of player in the NBA and that if you added up a player's dunks and three pointers, uh, he was almost always one of the lowest guys in the league. So, mm-hmm. but if he starts shooting threes like he did last year, I mean, that adds a total different, you know, aspect of his game. And True. really the question left is, can you play him in the playoffs defensively? Um, mm-hmm. but, but there's no reason. And again, I fully admit it. When they signed him, I said, Oh, he's just a guy. 
And then you watch mm-hmm. him play, and he is not just a guy because he does a ton of little stuff. Um, and if, and like I say, if he could start hitting threes at 37% and taking them at a decent number of times, you know, take a decent number of them, mm-hmm. you know, that he's, uh, you know, he takes an even another step up then. So, yeah, um, no, absolutely. If, if you can, uh, really, all he has to do is force people to guard him. Um, right. And because his ability to blow by is pretty remarkable. You know, it, it really is. And I think that's the, you know, whatever you want to say about deceptive speed and, and whatever uh, in, in you know, intuitions there are in, 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 in however loaded that uh, is. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he, another problem discussing T.J. McConnell. Yeah, sure. Exactly. But he blows by guys. He does. You know, I mean, he, he really does over and over again. I mean, his ability to get to his shot. Uh, I mean, it's he he he. he does it at a high level of frequency. Um, you know, I mean, he he has that little six footer uh, and he's able to blow past somebody, get them all the way to the rim, get them to jump, you know, twirl around uh, and hit a little six foot jumper over top of them. And, and his ability to do that over and over again uh, is really remarkable. I mean, he's coming off the best offense, all around offensive season of his career. Um, and, you know, for him to do that at that stage was was pretty incredible. He has really benefited from being on this team. Uh, obviously, Jenny Buchek work, works a lot with him with his shot. I think Rick Carlisle has come to really appreciate his game. Um, and put him in opportunities and in situations to be successful. And, and, uh, and I think that's one thing that Carlisle has done pretty well with this whole group is allow himself to be taken with some of these guys um, and, uh, and believe in them, even, even though there are some obvious flaws, um, to kind of appreciate some of them and, and, and make them work and make them fit. Uh, you know, I think Buddy's like that in his own way, too. And, and I think that's added a lot of confidence for guys and, and created a, a good all-around feel in the roster. And, and, and McConnell's one of those where I imagine that Carlisle probably had some of the same thoughts when he got a hold of him and watched him closely. He's like, wait a minute, this guy really matters. You know, his competitiveness really matters. Um, and he is just a more effective athlete than anybody realizes. Uh, and if you watch him close enough, you know, again, there are some things he can do that people can't stop. And you would think they would be able to, but they can't. You know, they know what he's going to do. Uh, and he still gets to that shot over and over again. And it's it's a remarkable thing to watch over the course of a year. Anything else you want to discuss team roster-wise, roster construction-wise, playing time, anything else? No, I think, well, I mean, I think the one thing is, I think uh, it's been fun to watch Tyrese Halliburton in these, um, uh, in these World Cup showcases. Uh, I think that's some interesting stuff coming up with the World Cup to, to see him in this position. It's really been, you know, obviously Tyrese has been the guy we've been able to see the most of, uh, you know, this offseason, you know, between, um, you know, the lottery, um, you know, Vegas, the, you know, his his uh, max contract extension, then his camp, and then, um you know, the dizzy runs game, you know, and, and now we're getting to watch him at the World Cup. I mean, he's been by far, uh, you know, the most exposed to the Pacers of the year. He's, you know, lived the most of his summer on social media, just a little bit more than Miles Turner, but he's also kind of had all this stuff going on. Um, and, you know, you've seen him sort of carry the mantle all year of being, um, you know, uh, the Pacers standard bearer, you know, their, uh, you know, public face and whatnot. Uh, you even throw in the Indy 500 when he was driving the pace car. 
Fire. I mean, he, he got to do a whole lot of stuff this year. Um, but now he's back to playing basketball, and I think it's interesting to watch him on a team where he is not the featured guy, but he goes back to kind of his roots of distributing. Um, and he's, you know, in, in these three World Cup Classic games so far, or showcase games so far, he's gone double-digit assist two out of three. And he's really pushing the pace. Um, you know, they're running a lot of Golden State stuff over there, and he seems to be really enjoying it, enjoys the ball movement piece of it, you know, throwing the ball ahead, keeping on a constant level of, of transition, you know, pushing the ball even off of made baskets. Um, and I think he's fitting in well with Jalen Brunson. I think those guys are getting some minutes together, and he's setting him up nicely. Uh, it's It's been fun to watch. I think it'll be continually fun to watch uh, as you see some of the development. On the flip side of that, I don't know that you've seen a lot of defensive improvement uh you know at this stage um you know maybe he got better maybe he didn't but i haven't seen it yet um but we'll see how that goes but offensively he's playing a lot of fun basketball i think it's gonna be very interesting to see what all he brings back uh from this experience i'm, I'm gonna be very interested to see just the the whole of learning that tyrese halliburton gets out of this summer that he can bring back to being you know you know, somebody's superstar and somebody superstar who's about to get paid. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting sort of role for him to play and see what all he's learned from this. Because again, his contract doesn't kick until next year. So he kind of played the part of the max contract guy when he's still a year away from actually getting those paychecks. But he, I, I will be very intrigued in how he approaches this season and how what what that looks like uh, as we get closer to training camp and as you, you see him on the international stage. Yeah, it's interesting. You listen to national podcasts and uh, people always say, oh, I love Tyrese Halvin, love Burton, love watching him play. And Pacers haven't had a player like that since Paul George. You also got to like the fact that he can go play with, this is not the best of the best of the NBA, but it's, it's a lot of really good NBA players and he can carve out a role, an important role. Mm. And even, and he's fine not scoring. And then, you know, he's a great scorer when he's going to come here. So it just speaks well to, to his ability to sort of, uh, you know, you know, make sure that he can he can do a lot of different things that team needs, including contributing without shooting the ball a ton necessarily. So yeah, and and I think he's adding to the soul of this team already. I mean, I think they're you know like USA has had struggles with these World Cups because they've had a hard time uh, recruiting for it, um, where where they've been able to to put together uh, Olympic squads that are good enough to win it. I mean, this has the World Cup has not been um, a it just it just hasn't been a focal point. You know, every summer when they try to recruit for these things, they have a hard time doing it. But they've they've got a young, a, a lot of really good youth, you know, getting the opportunity to be men's senior national guys for the first time. And I think the way Halliburton is playing is adding to the amount of fun they're having. Um, and I think you could really see that in the Puerto Rico game where they were a little bit sluggish to start. Um, you know, he was like plus 26 in that game. And I, I think a big piece of them figuring out who they can be was him pushing the tempo. And, you know, they, you know, they, they shot the ball a lot better against Spain. Um, but, you know, I, I think really the first two, they did just a good job of moving it. They weren't making a lot of really good outside shots, but they were able to keep the floor spread enough to get some inside stuff um, and, and some easy baskets just out of ball movement. And I think Halliburton's a big piece of that just because they're able to keep defense defenses on the move, uh, you know, sharing the basketball really well, moving really well. Um, and I think it's, you know, they are showing that they're able to out-athlete uh, and outpass and outmove teams, even if they're not going to outshoot them, uh, you know, they're not going to have the best play, you know, like 
I'm not sure who's. I think Giannis is out of this. I think Embiid's out of this. Um, you know, but like Luca is going to be the best player in the tournament probably, and there's going to be a couple other guys uh, in this event that are probably better than anybody that the United States has. But they might have the best overall collection, and even if they don't shoot it well, um, they might be able to be you know really effective just with their ability to run and share the basketball. All right, we will wrap it up with this trivia question since I was able to look it up. The three teams that have gone the longest without playing on Christmas Day are indeed Detroit 2005, Indianapolis uh, 2004, Sacramento 2003. Your question is, who is the next team on the list? Who's the fourth longest without playing on Christmas? I don't know whether I'll think more or less of you if you get this right. <laughs> Let me look at this. Um, so it was. It's Detroit, Sacramento, Indiana. I'm gonna say Charlotte. Uh, no, Charlotte is not the correct. Although actually, I'm not counting Charlotte uh, because of the whole Hornets. All oh, right, right. Orlando then. Orlando is correct. So I, you know, I, I probably think less of you then now that I think about it. I appreciate it. that. I understand that. That's not one I knew. I, like, I probably wouldn't have thought of it if I weren't looking at the schedule in front of me and seeing all the possible names. That's impressive. Like, 2011 for Orlando. And then uh, the next ones after that are surprising. Two that You get up to 2016. So it, it's kind of ridiculous how long those other three teams have gone without playing on Christmas. But mm-hmm. Fantasino and Chicago are two, in 2016 are the next two. Again, not counting the the uh, expansion Charlotte Hornets because I get confused with when they were the Hornets. Sure, the Pelicans and whatnot. Yeah, that's, whatever else, so. that's entirely fair. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it is, it's pretty wild to consider. And obviously they were in, you know, those, those teams have been in not great places uh, for a while now. So it it is... You know, not too much of a shock, but I think when you look at if, if when, when you're looking at all the teams in front of you and you think, OK, well, who else would it be? Uh, the magic kind of stand out because it has been a bit since the Dwight Howard era uh, when they were the last time they were relevant. Yeah, that is correct. And the, the Pacers and Pistons played in 2004 with the Pacers losing 98-93. So anyway, for that uh, exciting ending, uh, I'm sure everybody's going to uh, amaze their friends with this uh, trivia. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, we will probably not uh, be doing a podcast until early October when training camps open. Obviously, mm-hmm. if there's major news, we will adjust that. Um, but uh, please go to IndyStar.com to catch up uh, with everything we've done in the offseason. And uh, you know, keep your eye out for uh, all of our Pacers coverage uh, coming up uh, for next season. Thank you. Thank you.